friends, welcome to Cashing In on Content Marketing. I'm Amanda Milligan, the Marketing Director at Fractal. And every week on the show, I interview marketing experts about ways to know the value of your work and get buy-in for your strategies. This week, we're exploring why so many marketers aren't happy with the way that data and communication is handled in their organizations. Uh, it happens so often that marketers end up with their own tools and project management software, and they get kind of siloed from the rest of the company. So if you're having this problem, our guest today is going to provide some really actionable advice. Tommy Walker, the founder of contentstudio.com, is here to provide some awesome tips. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Thank you so much for having me. It is so nice to have you back because for longtime <laughs> listeners of the show, Tommy was in the first iteration, which was Ask Amanda about marketing years ago. So it's it's a treat to have you back on this version to talk about something totally different. And I think something very relevant to a lot of our listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Last time I was here, it was what, when I was at Shopify Plus. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, you wanna you want to kick it off? Let's. Well, so what I wanna do is start with like, you kind of painting us a picture of what these kind of disjointed organizations look like, right? Like run us through kind of like the worst case scenario of you're a marketer and this is how you're kind of unable to efficiently get stuff done. In a sure. Plan. So, so there was an episode about the content silos. So I don't wanna to get too much into that, but what ends up happening in these situ in, in these situations in many organizations is that you have these content silos on uh, around the company, but as a result of those, when you when you are trying to get something done that's cross collaboration, you end up seeing multiple meetings. Uh, you see um, people going like, "Hey, can you enter my workflow?" No, we're going to have this shared Google Doc over here. Uh, I work in Asana. You work in Airtable. I work in Trello. And what ends up happening in these situations is that because we don't understand the intersection points of our work, we have a very difficult time getting into each other's workflows. And even on a more basic level than that, you have a difficult time. Like a lot of people won't don't, don't take the time to understand what that adjacent team is doing. So a really popular example of this, especially in the content marketing space, and I think anybody here can relate to that, is I want to put something that's well-designed in my blog post, right? I want to do a well-designed graph. It's got to be completely on brand or whatever. And in order to do that, you have to work with the design team. But the design team, they work in sprints. And right now, the stuff that you're doing is not in a sprint. You're trying to get this thing done. You, you might work your calendar a week out, but they're doing things, you know, in very short bursts of time. And if you don't understand how they work, then your work doesn't get in there. And then everybody starts having this friction with each other. Um, and then you're like, how come I can't get design? And then their, their side's going, how come these blog guys are going after us all the time? <laughs> and it just creates this friction across the board. And the reality is, is that a lot of that is solvable um, because once you start kind of implementing some steps to understand each other's work and eventually get into uh, software that makes sense for everybody. Yeah, I really do think this is relatable. I've mostly worked at small companies in my career, but the one time I was at like a 150 person one, it was very clear to me how this breakdown could happen. 
And yeah. you literally just listening to you talk about it, uh, I'm like, I can remember the headaches I used to have. <laughs> so yeah. this kind of thing can get, kind of be overwhelming when you start identifying these types. You might not even know how to fix them, right? So like, where right. do you start? Like, if you're somebody who's going to listen to this and they're thinking, whoa, like, <laughs> this is definitely happening where I am. Where do you begin to solve that? Yeah, so the the interesting thing about this is that it's a conversation that's usually on the tip of everybody's tongue, right? Don't quite know how to articulate it, but you know that there's a challenge there. I, I know that I can't get in front of XYZ team in front of that team, and I can't get over here when I need them and, and whatnot. And the first step to really figuring all that out is to simply document it, right? Document all of the times that you needed to get help from another team that you couldn't, right? And it's not necessarily to tell on anybody. It's to go like, these are the dependencies that we have on each other. And if we don't have this open line of communication with each other, these are the, these are the roadblocks that start to stall the work out. The next step that I usually look at, right? Once I have that, I can start to shop that around to the different teams. Now, I, I really started to dive into this, this a little bit more when I was at QuickBooks. Um, so it's a much bigger, much broader organization. This this happens at every scale, but in the larger the organization gets, obviously the, the problem becomes bigger. Um, but once I have that information, I can then work with the other teams and go like, hey, yeah, what are the challenges that you have? And do you see these as appropriate points? Am I on track, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, you have to look at those little points. Once you start talking to everybody and finding out what those dependencies are, you have to start talking to everybody and going, well, how much time are you usually wasting or waiting? We'll say waiting to be a little bit more PC <laughs> there. Um, how much time are you waiting to get work from this particular team, right? So if I'm on the blog team and I need design work, Am I usually waiting three or four days to get that? And then what does that, how does that affect the production schedule, right? It, how do I have to adjust to that? And, and what does that do to the overall operation? And once you're able to really start documenting all of that, right, you're starting to see how much time is being wasted in between those individual steps that everybody needs to do. And that really starts to have a conversation uh, that really can be the foundation for a conversation that everybody can start having together of like, yeah, how can we work together more efficiently? The documentation part really is so important because I can't tell you how many times it's easy to anecdotally just know something's off, mm -hmm. but not be able to pinpoint it because you literally didn't write it down or track it in some way. And then you have to start from the very beginning, right? It just delays you so much. Right. And what it does, if it's not documented in somebody, you have to have a champion in this situation, right? If somebody's not championing this conversa conversation um, and not documenting it, then these tensions start to arise between teams, right? I can't get design to work with me enough. I can't get my, my content in front of the social team. And I really want the social team to distribute this content, but I can't get that in front of them. And the social team's going, I can't get attention from design, right? And it's always gonna come back to design for me because um, you know, the designs always have, they always have a lot more on their plate than anybody really acknowledges or recognizes. But yeah, it's, it's I can't get the distribution I need for this piece of content. And we've spent a ton of time creating this piece. And now we just wanna get it out into the world, but everybody that we work with, they're too busy. 
So, mm -hmm. um, so I can't, and what that does, right? The longer term of this is that each team, your social team, your email team, your content team, um, all three of these teams that are more customer facing, they have to create their own content streams, right? So everybody's working twice as hard because they're not able to have visibility into each other's work, which goes to the content silo thing. But if you are trying to communicate that with everybody and really starting to see how much time is lost in between those steps with the documentation, um, then it can start to solidify what that conversation is for everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it sounds like this documentation plays a big part in getting the buy-in from all these other stakeholders. Because I imagine mm -hmm. you run into people who are just fine with the status quo, right? They don't want to take mm -hmm. the time and put in the effort to potentially overhaul the way that they do things. So how right. do you kind of level with somebody and, and explain it to them as a benefit for them as well, not just for you? Sure. So... The thing that I ask everybody, right? And it's not just me, right? Because you have to look at this as a not selfish conversation, which is what you're saying, um, is you have to ask everybody to sort of document your, their own process. Now, there's uh, research out there that says it's like Wellington is a, a, a firm that deals with workflow management. And it's found that like 54% uh, of, of people within an organization um, don't feel like the workflows are efficient, right? But if you ask individual team members, they're saying seven out of 10 people are feeling like their team is efficient. To mm. not seem selfish, the person who's championing this conversation, you have to ask everybody to sort of document their own works, their own workflow steps. So if I'm running a vlog, that might be you know, ideation, I do for SEO side of things, I have the first draft that comes in, we do a review, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have to also have some empathy for what these other teams are doing. So a design team might need to have a brief, they might need to have, you know, all of these extra steps for their work to be finished. And what it really comes down to, if you're trying to get the buy-in, right, is you have to show first that you understand or that we all understand how each other works. Am I, am I answering the question or am I going off track, Amanda? Yeah, no, this works. And it's, it's funny you just said the word empathy because we yeah. had an episode about empathy and marketing that, that came out. And this really does play into that. It's understanding the individual person, how they work and empathizing with that to try to improve it for them, not just, okay, I need to make my job easier, but how right. do we eliminate these frustrations for others as well? Right, exactly. Now, I'll give you an example. This is a very tangible example. Um, I was just having a conversation with a client um, the other day, and their email team, I'm actually bringing together a lot of the, the, the work that everybody's doing, building out a, a much more efficient content marketing process, using different parts of the organization. Um, but I was talking to the email team in particular, and the email person said, I have to plan my campaigns or I have to plan my, my newsletter posts uh, nine weeks out. And, you know, the, the blog team is planning their stuff a month in advance. And I asked the, the email person, you know, would it be helpful if you were, and this is where you start to get into some of the data exchange with each other, would it be helpful if you were involved with the planning process on the blog? Right. Mm -hmm. And 
for that person, and it seems like a very simple thing, but for that person, it was like, yeah, that would be a game changer because they're getting so many requests from so many different people and they don't have a say in any of it. They're just being treated as a distribution channel. So all of this stuff is kind of happening to them all at once. But they were like, if I can plan and I know what's coming up instead of just having things thrown at me, that would be wonderful. And the flip side of that is, you know, us on the blog team going, well, what do you see working as far as open rates and click-through rates over here on the email side? Because if I can tailor some of the stuff that we're publishing over here, I can start to tailor make the content we're publishing for your channel, right? And the same conversation starts to happen with social and even PR and uh, any other customer facing channels. Because what ends up happening, and this goes again back to the content silo conversation, what ends up happening is everybody starts to create in their own silo and then there's no real synergy between the stuff that's coming out. But if there's a planning process that happens and you have the technology on the underside of that, right, um, that's unified, but not forcing people into it, uh, it, it can work around the way that they like to work. Um, then you have a much better distribution system internally and externally in the market. So you have uh, a much more cohesive content and communication strategy. So once you've kind of diagnosed some of these issues, you have your documentation, presumably the next step is to put a plan together to solve some of these issues. Mm -hmm. What are some potential elements of that? It sounds like maybe consolidating the number of tools you're using and uh, altering some of the workflows. What are some other options kind of on the table for people to solve some of these problems? Yeah, so the first thing is really finding those intersection points, right? I don't know if I said that already, but you got to find the intersection points of where people work. And what you're looking at in that case is you're taking all of these diagrams that people have created with each other of what their process is like, and then going, well, where do I need you? Right. And then start to find out just from a workflow perspective. And this is, you know, a very simple workflow chart. You can make it in, you know, uh, Google Draw. Um, where are these intersection points and where would be the most ideal point in time for me to work with you? Right. Mm -hmm. Where would you like me to show up in the process? So how can I alter my timelines, not necessarily alter the work, but alter the timelines to bring my like introduce myself into a process that makes sense for you? Right. And then the other part of that in, in the buy-in part, the like once you have that sort of mapped out properly, right, then you can kind of start to see conceptually how this would all work together. Now, I deal a lot with automation um, and there's a lot of ways that you can automate, you know, uh, if somebody likes to work in Google Sheets, cool. If there's people who can work in Trello, cool. Like there are ways that you can automate some of these connections back and forth. But if you're going hey, we should all get on the same piece of technology, which is the ideal, um, then you have to look and evaluate technology that goes, how can I take the best of what's working for you and not, um, and not change the way you work entirely? In a lot of large organizations in particular, the company will mandate a specific technology that everybody gets into and then what ends up happening inevitably is that people will use their own technology around that to work the way that they want to work. Mm -hmm. When in reality, the technology that you choose 
has to be able to be flexible enough to, uh, to keep people working the same way that they like to work, you know, take all the same steps and make it do what they want to do, but also not alter their day to day dramatically. Um, you know, it, it, technology shouldn't be, should be invisible. It shouldn't get in the way of people doing work. And that's often what happens. Um, a tool that I like and not to, to, you know, be a, be a salesperson, but a tool that I like is Airtable. I found that Airtable works really efficiently and can be very adaptable to different people's situations. Um, and because of that, uh, I've been able to scale a content team that has been, you know, 10 people to, I think it was 40 plus contributors across social email, SEO, et cetera, across 16 different markets. Right. And it's because you're able to let people work the way they want to work. You build out these processes and automation um, to, to get the communication happening back and forth and uh, and then really letting people finding those intersection points, like I was saying before, and then letting people work, they want to work and move on. So I'll give you an example of this is that an automation that I've built out uh, a lot of content marketers will see this happen quite a bit. Um, where you need to get approval from legal, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you do it the right way, right? If you're really paying attention to what everybody's process looks like and you can understand all the different parts, think about it as a machine, right? Um, I've been able to make it so you can push a button. It goes over to the legal queue. Uh, Legal gets to have all their queues for approval. It goes over to the legal queue. They see the documentation. They approve it, mark it up or whatever. And then they push a button and it goes back over to me and the status flips that says legal approved and, and all of this other stuff. So they're able to see that going back to the getting buy-in part, you have to have the vision to do this. And you have to, you have to, when you're, when you're creating that documentation, I may have gone too far ahead there, but when you're creating that documentation to get people to buy in, you have to be able to sell that, right? Here are the steps that we can take together to um, to make this more efficient for everybody. And that's a lot of presentation. That's a lot of trust building. And that happens. That's what we're trying to do in those very beginning steps of going, I don't want to change everything on you right now. I just want to understand how you work. Right? Yeah. Does yeah, that make sense? Did I go completely off the rails there, Amanda? No, no. I'd imagine that getting buy-in for this sort of thing can be intimidating because... Yeah. Like, especially that's why you're saying this early part so important to like set the expectation and not have people kind of go into a panic. Like, yeah. why are you changing everything? Um, and also because it's hard to know just how much money you're leaving on the table until right. you make those types of changes. Right. So do you kind of phrase it as or contextualize it as a time issue when you kind of present this as like the problem solution? Like we can fix this and this is going to be the benefit. Like, how do you. Sure. How do you make that benefit more tangible? Yeah, no. And it, this can be a months long process to get everything in order, right? You can spend six months just trying to solve the problem overall. So you have to have the stamina to do that. Um, but what you're looking at, what I'm, what I try to look for in these conversations, right? When I'm talking to people on an individual basis is how many redundancies do you have in this process, Right. It, very simple. If I'm having to enter stuff into my workflow and then I have to manually enter it into another person's workflow to get that sort of uh, attention, right? 
that yeah. takes time. You might be looking at little minutes of time at a time. If I have to put stuff in my workflow and then send an email, wait for you to send me the email back, all of that, this all takes a little bit of time. And what I try to do when I, when I am looking at and evaluating the process is finding out just how much time is lost uh, minutes and minutes at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I've identified in some of the organiza- organizations I've worked with, well, hey, we're wasting about 15 hours a week worth weeks worth of time in just this back and forth stuff that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. You're, if, if I send something to you and I'm waiting, that's, that's time lost. That's time that could be spent a little bit differently. So you, I, I try to quantify that, right? And then the other thing that I try to quantify, and this is a general rule of thumb, is when I'm looking at all of that. Now, I understand how to do automation quite a bit. Um, and the rule of thumb it, when you do automation is for everything you automate, you save a minute's worth of time, mm. right? So if I'm looking at some of these steps and going, what are the steps that we do every single time we do a thing, right? If I can automate some of that, then then fantastic, because then I save a little bit. So I'll give you an example of this, because I know it's, it's kind of like up there, right? Mm-hmm. If I can set up an automation that says, hey, I need design attention, and I need design attention at every single point where I know a, content, a piece of content is going into review, right? An author sends me a draft, I put it into my workflow, the status is flipped to for review. Well, I know that every time something goes in for review, I need an, an, a design help, right? So my designer will then be automatically notified instead of me having to manually email that person, they'll automatically be notified they can look at it at the same time I'm looking at the draft because they have enough information to go off of on what they might need to do. And now you're parallel pathing the editorial edit and potentially the design focus at the same time. And then once all that stuff comes back together, you can start doing this over and over and over again and not having to send an email out every single time or a Slack message out every single time. So looking at that, trying to quantify those those little steps of like, I have to send an email. I might have to wait a day for the email to happen. Mm -hmm. When that email is happening, I then move on to another project. Some of my projects fall through the cracks as a result of that because I'm not getting the attention I need at the time I need it, right? So that's really the type of stuff I try to quantify. And then once you start presenting it that way of like, hey, yeah, we're losing 15 hours a week in just the minor steps. And then to run a project, we're also spending you know, an hour of meeting time with each other to try to get on the same page. And every time we have a meeting, if every employee here is making $100,000 a year, you can break that down into the individual, what those particular hours are. This meeting's costing us $1,000, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you start looking at that and going, here's the time that we're wasting, here's the money that's being wasted by having an inefficient workflow, then you can start to really make that case overall of like, here's what we're, here's what we're losing. Here's how we can make that better. Yeah. No, I think that's a very valuable breakdown of how to, how to make that case. You mentioned Airtable earlier. Are there any other like automation tools or anything that you recommend people check out in order to solve these problems? Sure. So Airtable is my go-to now, um, especially because they've introduced a lot of uh, internal automations that, 
um, make a lot of this stuff a little bit easier. They've become more of a marketplace, which I love. Um, but before it was, it was, I used to use Trello and Zapier, right? A combination mm -hmm. of those two things. And what I would do with those when I was using Trello and Zapier, and still I use Zapier for some of this stuff is when a, when a card is created in Trello, then I have a zap that goes off that says, okay, now enter all of this information that we would need for every single piece. So title, meta description, you know, uh, all of that sort of surrounding bits of content, right? Um, and then I would use Zapier to connect uh, that over to email, right? So we did a lot of case studies when I was at Shopify Plus. We did a case study every week. And one of the things that we did was once the piece of content was ready to go, I had, uh, and we put that status into, you know, customer review. As soon as we dragged the card over to uh, the customer review queue, it would automatically send an email to the customer. It was basically a form email, but it felt very personal that said, hey, your article's ready for review. And it linked them right to the draft. And then they could make their comments or edits directly. And then they'd email us back and then we'd, we'd have everything we needed. Um, but that saved us every single time. If you're doing that and you're doing a case study every single week, that saves you writing that email out every time or copying and pasting something, right? So, mm -hmm. so that's, those are kind of my three like tools that have been in my stack that I, I've never had to find anything else um, that, that hasn't worked for me that way. Um, and I'll say too, uh, focusing on this stuff, if we're following that rule of a minute's worth of time saved for every automation, at my peak, I've had uh, two full-time robots working for me, 80 hours worth of automation happening every single week. Wow. It's it's really incredible because you think going about your day, these tiny tasks aren't significant mm. time-wise, but when you really add it together, it's almost alarming. How much yeah. Time we spend on things. Well, well, can I give you another another example? Yeah, absolutely. Of something that something that I've been able to do before is we worked with our customers, uh, customer care team quite a bit uh, for content intake, right? And the old process was, hey, send me an email or send me a Slack message or send me, you know, a carrier pigeon or smoke signals on um, how I can get this particular, you know, case study or product review or whatever done, right? I need to get this thing on the blog. And in a lot of cases, in a lot of organizations, that's coming from all of those different sources, whatever works best for everybody. What I did was I created a type form, right? And I guess that's another one that's in my, my tool stack. Mm -hmm. I created a type form that had branching logic that said, if you um, need a case study, then you press the case study button and its own set of questions come out that are I need for a case study. Um, if you need a blog post, it has its own set of questions, so forth and so on two things would happen. One is one, if somebody needed to make that request, I created a slash command in Slack, that form came up and it, and people could access that form directly from Slack, right? The hardest part of this was socializing using that command. Mm -hmm. But once people would do it, that it would pull up that command, they would get an intake form automatically, they'd fill it out. What would then happen is the information in that form would move over to a tab separated spreadsheet that had, you know, at the bottom, it was blog posts, case studies, et cetera, et cetera, um, eBooks, video. And I could look at that and I would have all of the information I needed in that one spot. And then to add another layer of automation to that, 
once that information was filled out, I would get notified in Slack that there was a case study request that happened, right? Or a blog post request or whatever request. So now that whole step of like, hey, we need a case study or hey, we need a blog post or whatever. I took all the, the, the human element was taken out of that because it's the human, it, that's the part that ends up falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And what I would do, my last set of automations there would be if, if I press a button that said, you know, this pitch is accepted, then they would get a form email that came out that said, hey, the pitch is accepted, Call, contact me over here and we'll go over the details or the pitch was rejected and, you know, I'll send you a follow-up telling you why. Yeah, that's awesome. Would you actually right. be willing to like take five minutes to screen share through something like this? Because I think <laughs> it might be cool to see it visually. Yeah, yeah. I have to build some. I have to rebuild some of it, but sure. Um, this <laughs> I don't, is. I don't want you to have to build anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I need to anyways. So it's it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, that's the level of that's. There's a lot of time that's saved in all of that conversation because. I'm now, I, and I'm operating under the theory that everybody's spending most of their day in Slack in an email, mm-hmm. right? So if I can have that information come to me automatically and I can pull that information up automatically, it's much easier for me to just hit a Slack, you know, make, do a slash command in Slack to have that form pull up than me to write an email out about all the different things I need. And then the person on the other side saying, well, I need more of these steps or whatever, right? Instead, the person who's doing the publishing says every single time and uh, automatically without any sort of intervention from themselves, these are the things I need every time, right? Yeah. And then you lose all of that. You don't have to do any of that back and forth. No, because I, the- yeah, I love that. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's why like, if you're listening, Tommy, we'll talk after, but if we do like a five minute thing, it'll be available to our email subscribers. So if you're listening and you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, do so on the, on the podcast webpage, but yeah, because we're already at time, Tommy. I mean, this conversation was so fast. I thought it was fascinating. Um, There's actually a question I've been asking everybody that's like completely unrelated uh, in 2021, which is about creativity. And I've basically been asking everybody, I'm trying to collect a bunch of perspectives on how you're able to stay creative you know, keep things fresh, come up with new ideas, because I think a lot of us are in a slog right now. Do you have sure. any any tips on how you've been able to do that? Sure. Uh, so I'm in a very fortunate position that my entire career has been remote. So I don't have to worry about like that side of things. Um, but the, the thing that I try to stay uh, creative is there's this podcast that I listen to called, uh, I think it's catching or creating a second brain. And whenever something strikes me, I have a journal in my back pocket. Whenever something strikes me, I just jot it down um, and then I can revisit it later. I try to keep myself open to all sorts of different experiences. Like I spend a lot more time thinking about uh, Marvel Comics and Marvel Cinematic Universe and how they market stuff. Mm -hmm. And I look outside of my day-to-day, you know, B2B experience um, and instead kind of look at these other areas uh, that are happening out there and dissecting what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's a really then, good idea. Yeah, which then fuels my own creativity. Right, you just get a different perspective other than the same stuff you're doing constantly. Yeah, exactly. So Tommy, knowing the objective of this show is to help content people, growth marketers, understand the value of their work and get buy-in for it, who would you recommend to be guests on future episodes? Ooh, um, Pep Laya. Pep Laya is my favorite. Uh, of all time. I would recommend also Aaron Orendorf. Uh, 
uh, and Alex Burkett. Awesome. Wow. You just had those ready to go. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and share your insight with all of us. Thank you for having me. If you've listened to this and want even more tips, sign up for our podcast newsletter, as I mentioned earlier, by going to the podcast page on the Fractal website. And if you've learned anything from this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Finally, if you have feedback, suggestions, ideas, rants about Clubhouse, or anything you'd like to share with me, shoot me an email at amanda at frac.tl. I'm a shameless extrovert who would love to hear from you. Thank you to Sean Kelly for podcast music and editing and to Joao Pereira for logo design. And thank you, dear listener. I hope you'll join us next time. 